Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. I am the algorithm. Welcome to Extended Clip. I am one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm Bob Dylan. Wait a second. He's Bob Dylan. I'm Robert Zimmerman. Malcolm's Billy the Kid. I'm Arthur. <laughs> Who's driving the damn bus? Sorry for stepping on it there. I was going to say I'm Arthur Rimjob. <laughs> oh, damn, damn. That's good. The Arthur Rimbod thing, man. Why? Anyway, we'll get to it. Um, Who the fuck? Who's Arthur Rimbod? He's a poet. Come on, you got to do a little research. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. I I figured he was a poet, but let's get into it. Let's get into it. (laughs) It is the final week of the extended clip month of music. We already talked about hip hop a little bit, but we're going to throw it back to the original rapper this week, talking about Bob Dylan uh, in the context of I'm Not There, Todd Haynes' 2007 experimental biographical picture. See, we just recorded an episode on a biopic about a guy named Oppie, uh, and that was a very unconventional biopic that subverts uh, usual dramatic standards for the material. Uh, This one does, too. Why, and, you know, Bob Dylan, I like him as far as like mid-century uh, Jewish American thinkers go. I'm a much bigger Bob Dylan fan than a, uh, a Robert Oppenheimer fan. And frankly, I might even love more Todd Haynes movies than Christopher Nolan movies. So why does Oppenheimer or any good movie make I'm Not There uh look like something i literally directed with my butthole <laughs> all right i have to <laughs> i have to get into this as kind of jt did you like this movie uh, I'm, I'm trying to moderate here i'm i'm a big fan which is funny like i remember on i guess not the the last music episode we did i believe i feel like i was very particular about choosing to say the word hope that I hope you would like it <laughs> when uh, talking about like Eddie seeing this movie because it does like I don't know I think there are there are many elements of it that I feel like w- would be something that would repel you I, I also have a question somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm about this i i don't know if it's a particularly good one but i uh I'll, I'll have a question at the end after we've talked our hearts out about the film i like that okay like that. that's 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 an interesting tease there we're gonna have to get back to the built-in segment that you just made jt's big question <laughs> <laughs> what's it gonna be so uh i'm not there and look maybe you know directed with my butthole Look, Todd Haynes, he's a great director. It's just this one's not good. And if you're putting like two and two plus five and accusing me of a certain phobia because of that, just shut it down. All right. I love the guy. He's if he let me be, he would be my best friend. That's all I'll say about that matter. 
We're willing to be best friends with you, Todd. Doesn't that mean something? <laughs> I, I didn't think you would dislike this movie because of homophobia, but... <laughs> <laughs> but here we are in my mind <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm kind of i'm i'm stroking my chin and readjusting my glasses right now for sure but i want this is the question i wanted to ask this kind of you know this might be cutting through too much of everything before yeah. we even get into the plot is this malcolm's so, big question this is my big question because i didn't particularly like this movie either but i didn't hate it i thought it was somewhat interesting but do you, do you feel like your love of Bob Dylan, um, do you feel like it affects the way you watch this movie? If I said no to that, I would be lying to you like a, you know, on the level of saying I, I like Hitler more than Bob Dylan. You know, like it, it's, it, of course it does. He's my favorite artist in any medium. Um, and yeah. the thing is, I do like the idea of the approach. So if for those who haven't seen it, I'm not there as an unconventional experimental bio, bio uh, rockumentary, <laughs> not mentory though, uh, <laughs> biopic about the one and only uh, greatest songwriter in uh, American or English language history, Bob Dylan. And it splits a certain segment of his career really it splits the story, the myth of his career into these different characters uh, that represent different eras of his career and different aspects of his career. Uh, you have this little uh, boy, an African-American boy who calls himself Woody Guthrie. And that's supposed to represent Dylan as a faker. That's also when I first started writing songs on my own. I ran some hillbilly songs. You know uh, Carl Perkins from Nashville? Yeah, yeah. He sings some of my songs. Yep, talking blues kind of stuff, you know, union song. Uh, you have this, an another one meant to represent him kind of as a faker is him calling himself Arthur Rimbaud and being, you know, just waxing poetic in this one direct address to camera where he's played by uh, the, the twink who plays Q in the new James Bond movies. <laughs> Um, the casting is hilarious throughout this whole movie and is part of why I was on board with it, to be honest. Uh, you also have him played by Christian Bale in two different eras. Uh, once in like his protest song era. Jack, why do you think that is? Well, I don't know. I, I guess you know, I, got, I got a lot of thoughts inside of me and, um, most people, they, uh, they, they, they keep them on the side. Uh, I guess it's for them that I do what I do. And again, in his Christian era, kind of linking those two together. Um, and there, there's a few others in there. Uh, we'll get to them. Uh, I don't want to go through all of them, but so on and so forth. We'll get to all of them. Oh, Heath Ledger is one of them also, which is kind of hilarious that... Uh, Heath Ledger and Christian Bale were in another movie together after the dark Knight. Uh, <laughs> like, just imagine them showing up on set together. Like, bro, who the fuck thought you would be here? <laughs> no, we definitely need a, a TikTok edit of like footage of this film and being like, do, do people know that there's a dark Knight too? No one talks about this. Or... There's a little bit of dark Knight exploitation in this too. Like some of the voiceover cuts too. It came out before dark Knight. 
Oh, it did. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah. No. No. They. That's what. That's what. Uh. That's where Chris Nolan got it. He was like, "Dude, I, you guys are so great in that. I want to bring you two together." <laughs> okay. It came out before Dark Knight, but if they're both 2007, they absolutely shot Dark Knight first because post production on that had to have taken way longer. Isn't Dark Knight 2008? Yeah, Dark Knight's 08. Oh, I don't know why I had it as 2007 in my head. Fucking (laughs) got. (laughs) (laughs) It does, in hindsight, it feels like retroactive Dark Knight exploitation, though. (laughs) Of the two movies, there's one that people remember. There's a cut from uh, Christian Bale to Heath Ledger both doing, like, grumbly voiceover, kind of, and it just made me laugh a lot. Uh, But by then, the movie had already kind of lost me. Why it lost me is some of these characters and the the worlds that they create just, like, are not interesting dramatically, to be honest. And, like, uh, then... Then the nitpicking begins once it loses me on a fundamental level. Like, with the Woody Guthrie thing and the the little kid, like, that just doesn't really work for me at all. And, I don't know, Mal- Malcolm, what did you think about these, uh, the, these stories? I, I've never really gotten into Bob Dylan super heavy. I, you know, I just texted these guys a couple days ago that I listened to Blonde on Blonde for the first time, never listened to it before, and it was it was very good. It's probably the most uh, Bob Dylan had connected with me. And just, just this is all to say I don't know much about the guy, um, besides just some general things, I guess. And so kind of going throughout this movie, and it's like dis- disconnected nature of like these six figures who are supposed to represent different periods of Dylan's career and bring up... Uh, you know, different criticisms, I guess, and whatnot of him. I, I guess I kind of, I felt like I got lost in the miasma, so to speak, where I am kind of like trying to like think is like, is this, is this, would I find this more interesting if I know this is like a nod to like something Bob Dylan said or whatever. Yeah. And, and then I think of the things I do know, like Bob Dylan playing the electric guitar at the folk festival and I guess how that was a big deal at the time and how that's depicted in the movie, you know, with them like kind of like shooting the stage or whatever. And it kind of just felt a little bit kind of like overbearing. And what this movie seems to praise Dylan for, it does so kind of like in a way that I kind of find maybe a little bit irksome and annoying. And then the criticisms kind of, I don't like, this movie feels very critical of Bob Dylan. You know, which is fine. You know, I, I, it's bucking traditional, you know, biopic trends. But at the same time, I, I guess I kind of just left somewhat confused and thought maybe maybe this one's for, uh, you know, the Dylan heads. And, you know, and, and, and it being for the Dylan heads, it being filled with like deep cut references or whatever. I feel like that could go one way or another if you're a big Dylan fan. You could, you know, maybe appreciate the references and like. I don't know, maybe like feel like the way they used them are clever, or maybe you could kind of feel like they're not doing them enough justice. So I kind of just left this movie somewhat confused, not necessarily entertained or impressed. But I feel like, I don't know, I I guess I was never completely bored. I was always kind of, I, I didn't completely check out, so I can't say I hate this movie, but that's where I'm at with it. 
I don't know. I totally see that side of it. And like I was looking into the Bob Dylan response to the film and it sounds like there's one point that Dylan brings up that I think is very true to your experience, Malcolm, uh, where uh, it's from like the Rolling Stone, like interview in 2012. Uh, Dylan says, yeah, I thought it was all right. Do you think the director was worried that people would understand it or not? I don't think he cared one bit. I just think he wanted to make a good movie. I thought it looked good and those actors were incredible, which is like a very funny non-answer about like the actual like I don't even I would doubt he ever saw the movie um, or maybe he did. Oh, I'm but sure just, he saw I, it. I, he watches a ton but of movies. Like, I don't know. It's just like a it's a non-response. Yeah, like, totally. I don't know. But uh, but the the question of not caring whether or not people would understand it if you aren't in the very insular like if if you're not familiar with Dylan as an artist i think like is certainly like a fair criticism to leverage like against the film and even like i don't know obviously it's a film that i feel like is very divisive among Dylan fans as well because I, I well to me I feel like a lot of it and a lot of why I do really like the film is I think like I don't think the stories are necessarily like the most dramatically compelling but I do think that like it's very interesting to sort of experience Haynes' feelings about Dylan and like his relationship to the artist and that on that level I really like I don't know just like there certainly there are things that I or characterizations that I disagree with and the fact that it's done through the veil of like not really like kind of but also not really like Dylan stand-ins you get into this weird gray area there that I feel like Again, like obviously, is a lot about like performance in itself, and like Dylan obviously changing like identities or personas, things like that. And I think to me, I mean, I definitely could see why the content of the film would be grating and annoying, uh, to some, but I, I don't know. I feel like Haynes especially when he's getting into some of the more like poetic kind of bullshit it rings very true to me of his experience and relationship to Dylan's work that I I don't know again a lot of my enjoyment of the film does spring forth from like I love the same artist that Haynes does and his experience is like I don't want to say vastly his experience and interpretation of Dylan as an artist is vastly different from mine, but it certainly is at points. And I, I don't know. I like the, I, I think it's fun enough. Uh, it looks very nice. And uh, I don't know. That's, that's why I'm able to be on board with it. I think it looks very nice because Ed Lackman and Todd Haynes worked together oh, yeah. to create incredible looking movies like i i'm a huge todd haynes fan i even love velvet goldmine which other people you know david bowie didn't even let his songs be in the movie because of how much he hated it yeah 
that one is one where the classic rock heads might feel betrayed by the lack of you know can- canonization in that movie and how it is Todd Haynes's personal feeling of how these narratives were shaped really just like from him daydreaming listening to the music it feels like uh that's what it feels like mm-hmm. both movies velvet goldmine and this both feel like the dramatics a combination of popular narratives and what he has just like daydreamed while listening to the music and i think for velvet goldmine it works better because it has to be obscured by the fact that it's not actually david bowie and it works in this weird simulation realm you know this one, I feel like it kind of plays both sides where it wants to be abstract, but it also wants to be overly literal, you know? Like uh, when when Visions of Joanna kicks in, the new girl that he meets up with is named Louise. You know, you, you see like him, uh, him yell, hey, Louise, wait up. And then the lyric, you know. Hey, Louise. Louise the first mention in the song of the character Louise comes up and there's all these kind of things like in across the universe or something like that where there's like these overly literal um lead-ins to songs in a like broadway jukebox musical thing and you know if that's what todd haynes likes that's what he likes to me i think it kind of betrays the roots of dylan even though so much of his stuff it has a theatricality to it and a fictionness to it of course and you know he he was so inspired by like the circus growing up and he's all about showmanship to an extent of course um but i think that the glam sensibilities of velvet goldmine lend themselves to that much more than the artistic sensibilities of dylan do here i was just curious about like your in terms of my knowledge of Dylan, I feel like mostly stems to the music itself and then like a handful of stuff I've read. I've never done like comprehensive like biographies or I have uh, a copy of uh, Dylan's most recent book. Uh, I mean, obviously that's about American songs mm-hmm. and less like about his own life. But I mean, obviously you not get about his, his own his life personality. At all. Yeah, no, I, but I mean, you get his like personality baked yeah. into there. But um, I'm just curious how much like you know about the the real facts of his life, and that's like because that's something that like I feel like could like change like enjoyment of this for me. I do because it's like I again I have general stuff from like some Dylan docs that I've seen and things like that but I feel like it's not I'm not in the roots enough to be like pissed off about like things that Mm -hmm. I feel like could be him like doing some periods wrong or things like that how do you I'm curious your history on that Oh, I mean, I haven't read all that many biographies or anything like that. You know, uh, a lot of it stems from the discography and, of course, the the Scorsese documentary that came out a year before this movie did. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's really interesting that there's this, like, little moment of trying to canonize him in that moment. Um, But, you know, uh, I, I haven't read all that much about him. I've mainly listened to the discography and read online as I get into every album, kind of. Um, but even the discography is totally shortchanged and, you know, I, I, the, the narrative chronology 
it feeds into these long-standing narratives that have become myths about Dylan that I think like don't really I don't know they they make sense symbolically but I mean playing into the Royal Albert Hall thing the way that it does with and we haven't even mentioned this I can't believe we haven't mentioned this with Tar herself uh Kate Blanchett as uh don't look back era bob dylan and of course that's like the the key documentary of that era um where she has this like meltdown on stage and people are calling her judas and everything like that oh this music you know what you're hearing is not english music all right i haven't really heard american music before what you hear, I'm gonna say right now, doesn't have a name. It's words, right? Sounds. Something you disagree with, that's great. So the bootleg of that show does exist, and there are some hecklers toward the back end, but you got to think about it narratively. <laughs> that show, the Royal Albert Hall show, was after Highway 61 and Bringing It All Back Home were already out, right? Like in the Newport Folk Festival, when he goes electric the year before, Like a Rolling Stone was already out as a single and Bringing It All Back Home was already out. Like he already had released rock music with full bands. Like. So it's a it's a question of really how dumb were these people versus <laughs> how far has this narrative spun, you know, um, because the narrative is always going to be pushed in that mythological sense. Like even in No Direction Home, the Scorsese one, they still continue to push that narrative, even if they cut it down a little to size. Like if you watch that movie, I think you realize, OK, maybe Pete Seeger didn't actually take an axe to the soundboard at the uh, Newport <laughs> Folk Festival because, you know, maybe Pete Seeger was too old to lift a fucking axe at that point. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like th this movie feeds into the narratives that are counterproductive about writing the book on Dylan, I think. It's, it's funny that both of these things come out and No Direction Home, as much as I love it as a capsule of, you know, whatever you want to call it, 60 to 66 or so, uh, and then has its, uh, you know, um, he died on the way back to his home planet and wrote songs for the next 50 years ending. Uh, this also falls into that trap where it has that little showcase of Christian Bale playing the character Pastor Jack, uh, doing the song Pressing On from Saved from Bob Dylan's Christian Trilogy. And I feel like this movie treats that as a joke and is very critical of it, which is fine because a lot of people don't like his born-again Christian music, and that is totally acceptable. But what happened after the born-again Christian music? That is completely missing from the movie. And I think that his 80s, 90s, and 2000s career is like, it's almost insulting not to include that. Sometimes there's a love down in discussion. Can't help but wonder what's happening to my companion. Are they lost or are they found? Have they counted the cost? When you're even flashing forward a little, it's like, 
not only is the chronology that it covers totally jumbled up, and sure, you could make the excuse that it's all within the postmodern structure of splitting these characters up and stuff like that. And maybe that's not an excuse. Maybe that's just the reason, uh, because the chronology is completely, you know, wrong on like when events happen and when certain needle drops happen like that. Uh, but who cares? That's being a CinemaSins dummy. <laughs> it, it's more that it's just like, what a, if you want to make the deep cut movie with all the references, why is this like kind of pathetic thing? where he's talking about a war in the Middle East, he's preaching about war in the Middle East, clearly during the Bush era, this is meant to show him as a total dumbass, you know, uh, being Christian Dylan. And, like, why is that the latest thing in the career that you show? I think that's a total disservice to his discography and his work. I don't know. I, I just don't get yeah. it. No, yeah, that's that's what I thought. Maybe some of your anger, maybe anger's too harsh of a word, but distaste for this movie comes from it's kind of like did they kind of capture things about Dylan that may be not the most interesting thing that are kind of like the flash the flash about Dylan but not you know the yeah. the real substance it's not as bad as a Godard Mon Amour looked but it kind of <laughs> has the same it has a little <laughs> bit of the same icky feeling to it where it's like you got the cool tumbler Bob Dylan you know and the only thing that's not that is a total criticism of it and yeah. the dude made music for fucking, or is still making music, you know? Uh, like, but even at that point, he released like Modern Times and Love and Theft at that point in the last six years when this movie came out. Like, I, those are super innovative albums. Like, I, I don't really know. I don't really know what the purpose of rehashing all of those narratives over and over uh, if you're trying to do this totally postmodern spin on it where you're you know turning these aspects of his career into different people you're still just doing that in service of the traditional narratives of his career which to me i don't think is productive at all and then in terms of just watching them i kind of hate most of them like yeah frankly the little kid playing tombstone blues in the beginning with the two other guys they're jamming out on the blues like that paired with the end where it's like a black panther dude forcing his buddy to listen to uh <laughs> ballad of a thin man and he's like no dude they're talking about us stop stop the song and you know well i missed it i missed it again i missed it bobby you ain't hearing me man no we are the geeks you dig? And why is that cool? No, we are the ones being paraded around like some sort of circus freaks. Come on up and see Harlem, Mr. Jones, but make sure your windows rolled up tight. This song is hell, man. You got to understand this song is saying a hell of a lot about society. All power to all people, man. That's what it's well, saying. Well, I missed it again. That's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of like the race stuff in this movie, which is very 2000s Bush era liberal. And it's strangely uncomfortable. Uh, and look, I there's plenty of movies I love that that fit that description. <laughs> I'm not going to say that's why the movie's bad, but when the movie has already lost me, that is far from helping. When yeah, when, when we like that movie, that's points for it. When we dislike the movie, that's points against it. That's just how it goes. It's called the Clint Eastwood Continuum. Thank you very much. <laughs> In my instance, I do like those weird flourishes there. Like, but I also, again, am on the side 
of the film. And I totally understand your perspective. I feel like I was a little bit zoned out this time when I was rewatching like parts of uh, when uh, Bale is in the be doing the father john thing because initially when i first watched the movie my memory of that was that like not that it was not i feel like he, he was not him disavowing that right i feel like because doesn't it show him like playing like the i mean yeah, he's you doing pressing on and he's like pretending he's like fat elvis for some reason <laughs> uh and it's a it is a powerful performance i guess but like I think yeah. the, the sermonizing, I think, is supposed to make him look like a fool, and then you're supposed to be won back over by the music. I, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that sermonizing speech is, like, that scene is supposed to be played as, like, he's embarrassing himself. And, and we here in America, we shall overcome. What greater honor for a nation than to speak for God? For some say that the war to end all wars has already begun right now in the Middle East, where it is prophesied that the weak will fall, and that Jesus will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. So why should we worry when we're already free right here, right now? It's like the low point of his career, like how most biopics have the part where they're doing heroin or whatever. In my opinion, that's what yeah, it felt yeah. like to me. Yeah, I don't know. I think that again i understand your complaints with him sifting through like the most like talked about dylan periods and eras and things that like have already been i i don't know the book has been written and shut on them but and again there is like certainly a level of critique there uh against dylan but to me it's just like most of the movie I feel like is pretty like and I think a lot of the style plays into it for me where it's just like experimental and fun and kind of light and that I don't like obviously Haynes is like just the type of filmmaker that he is is going to like posture isn't the right word but like signal towards something more like explicitly political yeah i mean he literally got his degree in semiotics like he's <laughs> um, all about symbols and signals and shit yeah but I, I don't know that's where again like the film also like yes like it is a it is the bob dylan movie but also there is an insane amount of like liberty with like the characters not being him again it like occupies a very strange space for me not per like again i don't particularly like there are a lot of performances that are like whatever in this but i don't mind them being like caricatures for what he's like going for with like performance and like the sort of like the many masks of like an artist i and again i totally understand why you would prefer something like that in velvet gold mine i just again think that like obviously haynes is not depicting like i don't want to say more interesting eras um in dylan's career but like eras that are undersung and could deserve from i mean obviously now 
we have our uh, the 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 fellows, the Jokermen, uh, have really put in their work. I feel like to uh, raise the opinion of uh, late era Dylan work, but it's just like why could Haynes not do that now? I get those gripes, but uh, and again, it is kind of like skating off a little easy for me. But I think the fact that like the the way the fictional characters in the movie go oftentimes veer so differently from like the 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 arc of Dylan's own life that it's like I I don't know it doesn't it doesn't bother me as much there because it's yeah. just like there but again it does feel like something where it's just like oh when it's not a Dylan depiction you can fall back on oh well, they're like fake characters but there there's just within being explicitly about bob dylan there are a lot of parts that aren't yeah i mean i think that that dynamic is interesting it's just not executed well in my opinion there's too much literalization for the more ambiguous and fictional stuff to really work uh and like there's so many things that are like recreations of real things like of course when kate blanchett as we said, played that Royal Albert Hall concert and leaning into the narrative is a big thing there because you can listen to that bootleg and there's a few hecklers and toward the end, like the very last part of the encore, it's like every song gets a rapturous applause. And then after that, it's like a couple people being like, come on, man, you know, go back to playing protest songs or whatever. Uh, And, you know, that being used as a melodramatic pivot point, I don't know. To me, it doesn't really work uh, in a sense because, like, I don't know. It's the it's the sense that after that, all you get is, like, quick flashes of blood on the tracks, like, uh, just, like, kind of being background music for Heath Ledger, the movie star, you know, uh, character, and, like, that's kind of the end other than the uh, the the Christian music chronologically for his career. And it's kind of weird because it's also just like right after that, like his music was so good still. Like, you know, uh, John Wesley Harding is right after that. Nashville Skyline. Yeah. How are you yeah. going to ignore the, the narrative potential of him becoming a country star for a year and a half and hanging out with Johnny Cash and having a best selling country record in Nashville Skyline? You know, like. I feel like it's just everything that it chooses to literalize, uh, it does so in a way that's exhausted by this point. And then to me, the fictional stuff just is not interesting. Like, it's yeah. the the Richard Gere, the Dr. T is Billy the Kid stuff to me is like the biggest snooze of all time. Like, I truly do not get what that was trying to accomplish at all. Uh, the other ones I at least get the aims of. That one I truly do not get. Uh, the aims of the Heath Ledger one, you know, being kind of a meta thing about stardom, uh, of course, takes on deeper meaning with Heath Ledger passing on uh, around that time of the release and uh, about him being a movie star that played Bob Dylan. But it's like, I really don't care. I don't care about a guy who played a Bob Dylan archetype. Yeah. The Heath Ledger one, he's doing like kind of the blood on the tracks. Yeah, thing, Heath Ledger right? thing, it's like it's a mini adaptation of Blood on the Tracks, basically, this breakup that he has. Uh like his his life 
his life events correspond with the the needle drops for blood yeah, on the tracks yeah. that it plays like it has the soft version of idiot wind playing at their breakup and stuff like that or whatever um but uh, to me it's just so uninteresting uh it's like the the potential uh wasn't luca wadawino uh ppp gonna adapt blood on the tracks too like I, it feels like that's how that would have felt probably <laughs> it just going through all of them like i don't like any of these kate blanchett it's like it's a fun thing at first then that folk music has perchance failed to achieve its goals with the negro cause or the cause of peace you know saying cause of peace it's just like saying just like a hunk of butter, you know. I I don't know how you can listen to anybody who wants you to believe is dedicated to the hunk and not the butter. I'm not sure I follow. You know, uh, I didn't come out of some cereal box. But half, literally half of that is Tar dressed up as like doing an impression of Don't Look Back, like scenes from Don't Look Back. You know, it's an iconic documentary that's being, you know, replicated here. And then it's, you know, also parts of Eat the Document, also filmed by Pennebaker, uh, like harder to watch, of course. But like, it's just these things that already exist that you're just doing again, like slightly remixed in a way that I don't love. The soundtrack can be fun. It can be annoying. Like, I I have to look who's doing the singing when uh, when Batman is, uh, you know, being Bob Dylan. But when Kate Blanchett, when Tar is being Bob Dylan, it usually uses uh, Stephen Malkmus of the band Pavement uh, singing songs like Maggie's Farm. To be just like I am, but everybody wants you to be just like them. They say sing while you slay, but I just get bored. And uh, Ballad of a Thin Man, which... You know, on a uh, on a uh, novelty level, there there's hundreds of great Bob Dylan covers out there. He's the greatest songwriter of all time, and uh, those are some fun songs. I'm, I'm not gonna poo-poo that. Yeah, you know, just kind of from the the outside looking in, like just kind of going through the segments, right? Like Woody Guthrie stuff feels very origin story, right? And then yeah, which I I don't know, like I don't quite. Exact. I, I, I kind of like it when he's like hopping on a train, I guess. But then, you know, you kind of get like, uh, you know, he's like with the black family and, you know, he's singing about boxcars and they're like, you know, Woody, you got to sing about what's going on in front of you right now. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah. you know what? You're right. That, I guess maybe that's my issue because to be honest, the movie is very abstract in a lot of ways. Like, like it rarely gets that cliche, I guess. Maybe other mm-hmm. besides, you know, some some things that Eddie listed already. I, I guess it's just like these six stories. You know, me not knowing much about Dylan, like trying to connect them together. I don't really get much out of it. Like you said with the Billy the Kid stuff, it's like I'm like I have no idea <laughs> what's going on there. Like what at all? I've seen Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, so I was kind of like. Like, is he going to, like, continue the movie or something like that? Um, but it's it's just the coolest part of that is when you see a giraffe. And I'm like, what? Why, does, why is there a giraffe? And then, like, the Bale and Heath Ledger parts felt very critical to me. Like, in a way that, like, I, I, I guess, like, the Heath Ledger stuff is kind of, like, it's just, like, I, I don't get it at all. And it's, like, we have, like, Charlotte Gainsborough getting, like, 
12 minutes of, of screen time and there's like an argument and paparazzi. And so that's like kind of like a, that, that segment you guys are saying is kind of like a, a fictionalized version of an album of his. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, then like, that makes it. Con- yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like the breakup, like to uh, an extent, album yeah, of his. Yeah. 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 I, Cause like, I, th- I thought it was like a misogyny critique or something like that. I mean, I guess there's some of that in there maybe, but like, it's it. I, I don't know. I, I felt kind of lost and like they're the like the things that did have pa- direct parallels to either his actual narrative or uh, his music, but like had an obvious change to it. It did have me thinking like, what is the productivity there? Like, yeah. what is the productivity of you know scoring the Heath Ledger breakup stuff to a couple of tracks from Blood on the Tracks? Like, what exactly is it? Tr- extracting from that is it a critique of misogyny because of you know the song where he calls the female character an idiot throughout it for eight minutes um you know who knows but and then the thing with the woody guthrie character like okay so compare that to the real narrative which is that bob dylan worshipped woody guthrie uh when he left the midwest he traveled all the way to upstate new york and saw woody guthrie who was you know very sick and old at that time and you know had a had a heart to heart with him and uh then went to new york to make music and uh you know had a song on his very first album a song for woody and he has he has another and numerous references to woody guthrie throughout his career uh but that angle of it is like to show bob dylan as a fake because uh, that that's like the cynical angle on that is like Bob Dylan left Robert Zimmerman left uh, his you know circus town in fucking Minnesota, hopped on a boxcar, pretended to be a hobo, and went to Tin Pan Alley, uh, in New York, and fucking pretended to be a folksy guy when he's really like a you know middle class Jewish kid from Duluth or whatever. Why why do you feel like the the kid section of that is like? playing i mean certainly it is like making it clear like the fakery there but i feel like the film well it's on his side so it's not that cynical i guess like the the, that stuff is sympathetic to that kid character so i think it's trying to toe the line it's trying to present that cynical narrative in a way that's like but he's a great artist and this is why it's sympathetic and it's this kid who's like you know, this 11 year old rambling hobo kid, like obviously you're going to have some built in sympathy for that. And so I don't think it's quite as cynical as what I just described, but it's no, for sure. What I like about that particular, that stems to the larger like nature of the abstraction is again, without knowing like the hardcore on the paper facts, about uh robert zimmerman and his life and like even like just based on the type of dude he is i feel like it is hard to ascertain you can't get the dos on dylan Mm -hmm. like it's hard to know what is entirely like true and like what is false and i feel like the film and again i do think the it this lends credence to what you're saying about like him not exploring later eras i feel like the way the film abstracts and has like cheeky again, like kind of more on the cutesier and like nods to like the music and things like that, that like are just heavily ingrained into the DNA of the movie. 
that, I don't know, that to me works where it's just like, yeah, I am getting like the, like sort of heightened versions of conventional Dylan narratives that I've heard, but ultimately it's abstracting and like mystifying things for me more where it's just like, I don't think anyone could approach this movie and be like, I'm going to watch it to learn facts about Bob Dylan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally. But I think that then it has those recreations and literalizations that bug me so much because why even have them if you want to make such an abstraction, you know? Uh, and then also, I, I just don't like the abstractions. I, I just wish they were good. Because, uh, like like I said, Velvet Goldmine, I think that's good. I think these are incredibly corny. Uh, I don't know what it is. Christian Bale as, like, him doing protest songs and being so, like, so, so ticky as a performer. Like, he is, I don't know, he's anticipating. I bet Heath Ledger saw the rushes for this and said, oh, I'm going to channel that energy as the Joker. I'm going to be crazy. <laughs> Like he and him and the Arthur Rimbaud one, both of them are like the most ticky things ever. And it's like you watch, don't look back, and he's quirky, but he's like he's pretty chill. I gotta say, <laughs> like you watch, don't look back. You let you watch uh, Eat the Document. You watch uh, No Direction Home. You listen to all the bootlegs from then, and you really you could just use primary sources. Listen to the listen to his discography. Listen to those bootlegs, and like that tells the story enough. Now that I'm thinking about it like this, you have an artist whose discography tells the story of their life when they've been making music for that long. So why are you only adapting the first chapter, which has also already been the most popular chapter for the last 50 years? You know, there's like eight more chapters to this. It, 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 I just feel that there's really nothing too productive uh, when you're looking at this entity of a discography uh, that you're building it out of. like I f And I feel like at its best, he is abstracting things, uh, Haynes that is, is abstracting things into his own ideas about music and fame and filmmaking and stuff like that uh, in small spurts and using his work with Ed Lackman and his editing to really demonstrate these ideas. Um and at its worst, it feels very uh, jukebox, jukebox musically, musically, and like very uh, overly literalist and uh, poetics and semiotics, like making you into a crazy person type movie. And uh, I just, it's such a weird mix that I don't think it ever strikes a balance of. There's just like kind of an unbalance to this movie that I thought maybe knowing more about Dylan maybe would help that balance out because just like kind of as is, you know, just looking at these narratives, like kind of like the Christian Bale stuff, you know what I mean? It's like, just not necessarily kind of like that interesting to me, I guess, you know what I yeah. mean? There's such a more interesting narrative just in the music, like just yeah. in the discography to me, at least yeah. like, so, yeah. so for those who are coming to this as Todd Haynes fans, maybe, and don't know that much about Bob Dylan, Maybe you know the perceived narrative, you know, starts off doing protest songs and uh, goes electric. Everyone gets mad. Just listen to the albums. That's all you really need to know, you know, from uh, 
the the soft acoustic songs of freewheeling and uh another side to the protest songs of uh the times they are a changing uh then he goes electric of course you have that three album run bringing it all back home highway 61 uh and of course uh blonde on blonde in my opinion the greatest rock album there ever has been uh and then the film ends almost <laughs> a lot the the scorsese doc ends there at least uh with the the quote-unquote motorcycle accident so there's a flash of a guy kicking, starting a motorcycle in the very beginning of this movie, but the perceived narrative there is uh, at the height of his powers during this electric tour, uh, he gets in a motorcycle accident and then doesn't tour for a long time and stops making music for a couple of years. Uh, other people say, hey, there's no evidence of Dylan ever riding a motorcycle but you know, before that. Uh, later on, he would say such great quotes about it as... Uh, Everybody loves motorcycles to a certain extent. <laughs> so then he goes away from the limelight. I personally, maybe a little conspiratorial, uh, am of the opinion that he just wanted to go away and like reform himself because he had, was just tired of being the voice of the generation and uh, you know went from these protest songs to these like kaleidoscopic uh, imagist poems of blonde on blonde. Uh, you know, look at the lyrics for Visions of Joanna. You know. They're ridiculous, but they have nothing to do with, you know, uh, the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll. Anyway, then he goes and makes John Wesley Harding, which is this like stripped down fucking like Western album almost like it like feels like a Western movie almost. Uh, and then he makes a full on country album with Nashville Skyline. He does this like covers album with self portrait where he's looking back at the history of uh american music at a very early part in his career and this is a key thing because uh that monologue that the young woody guthrie kid gets from the mom in the beginning says live in your own time you know but the thing is dylan's fascination with history is why he's one of the greatest artists of all time he has been looking at the history of songwriting since the very beginning, uh, since he started with tributes to Woody Guthrie, you know, like, so I think living in your time is the antithesis of Bob Dylan, to be honest. Uh, so the fact that live in your time uh, is what supposedly influenced him so much at that time in this movie is just a, a wrong thing to have as like that origin story thesis no that for me that like is like the fiction that's where like fiction like overtakes so much of it am i wrong does is there the woody guthrie kid does he visit like a dying he visits a dying man in the hospital is it like that's supposed to be like Woody Guthrie? Yeah, I don't know. So I feel sure, like, fiction is absolutely yeah. separate from reality in that sense. But I think the fact that you have this almost origin story moment of the mom of this other family in the South telling him to live in your moment. And that's why he's going to sing protest songs now really betrays the thesis of like looking at Dylan's entire work as this reflection of the history of songwriting which i think is such a key thing like it starts you know blatantly in 1970 with self-portrait as he's covering everything from you know blue moon to you know days of 49 all these old-timey fucking songs 
Um, and then it goes on. He covers stuff throughout his career. And then in the 2000s, he starts covering like this whole, like he has this American songbook project where he's covering all these songs made popular by Sinatra. Uh, he has triplicate, a triple album, all of covers like of like American songbook classics and stuff like that. And I just think that uh, history is such an important part of a, like understanding the story of Dylan and uh, that's why he just released that book, you know, Philosophy of the Modern Song. It's all old-timey yeah. songs. There's no modern songs on there. <laughs> uh, and I just think that uh, zeroing in on, like, spinning Todd Haynes' imagination, uh, abstracting stuff from purely, like, 1962 to 66 plus Blood on the Tracks and the Christian era is incredibly selective when you have, like you know, the road from self-portrait to the Christian era with blood on the tracks in between, let alone everything that happened in the 80s. Like, Jesus, I don't know. I think that uh, it's just, how are you going to spend two and a half hours missing all of the stuff that's never been mined before when you're trying to do this, like, obscure, indie, artsy version of the biopic with this high-concept, you know, uh, thing? I, I, I just... I think it's an interesting concept that was just completely whiffed on. I I just I don't know. And I think a testament to like Dylan Dylan is a figure and I don't know. The the film certainly is like I like that it's this uh divisive in it because it's just for me the scene with the Woody Guthrie the the scenes with the Woody Guthrie kid just feel like almost the inverse of what you're saying. Like, yes, I know there is that line there and it does like kind of feel like that like cheeky origin story like moment of like, oh, we'll write protest songs. But I don't think that like connects like, I mean, certainly there are Haynes making like connections to other narratives, but that that character feels like so much so representational to me of Dylan's early love of music history. Like it's just a kid like riding the rails. Like the hobos are like, he speaks like an old, what like it's fucking like the fifties. Why is he speaking? Like it's like 1920. Why is it? They unionized like the rail cars like a while ago. For me, that like sense of history that Dylan clearly has is kind of, baked into that aspect of that character and again like the Richard Gere Billy the Kid while being like uh, again pr pr the weirdest weakest segment of it to me doing a little western story in the middle kind of again not definitely not doing justice as you could to like Dylan doing some country stuff but I feel like to me it's Haynes's representational bit of those feelings but again like I think because like I, I totally buy your reading of it and I think the by design like the Haynes's film is going to have this level of varied reactions to it because it exists in this nether world of fiction and fact 
And again, a lot of it also boils down to whether or not you like are amused or interested by any of the fake characters. Mm -hmm. But I would like to pivot. Could I ask you my big question? Oh, is it finally time for the segment? Yeah, I'm 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 ready to to pop my big question. Let's pop it, baby. I think I know what it is. Do you think you are going to hate the mangled <laughs> Dylan movie more yes. than this or yes. less? Yes, yes, yes. That is a locked in half star. While this is to spoil my rating a one star movie. Uh that movie will be half as good as this movie. That was what I was expecting. Because <laughs> that's strictly gonna that's gonna like just be the classic fucking awful biopic and strictly about fucking sixty to sixty six plus blood on the tracks. That's all eh, Yeah, if and that, I mean if and it, of course it's not gonna have the talent behind the camera as well. Yeah. Like that like you completely whiff that. It's just like yeah. yeah. James Bangalore, he's a horrible filmmaker. Todd Haynes, genuinely, I mean, like, he has mo- he has three movies that I think are great. Velvet Goldmine, I almost hesitate now because it's been so long and I hated this so much. <laughs> but uh, Safe is fucking fantastic. Yeah. Carol is fantastic. And he has a couple ones that are, like, beneath that but still very good, you know? Uh, I think he's a great filmmaker. I think this is just an all-time, like... The stars aligned to somehow make a horrible movie when they should have been at least pretty good. Well, it's kind of like uh, someone's some critics said this. I didn't come up with it, but like, you know, it, it almost takes like a really good director to make a truly, truly bad movie. And that's not necessarily <laughs> where where I sit on this, but it, it it kind of that is kind of like more or less, I guess, the end result in my mind where it is like. Like, I feel like there's just too many moving parts here, too many ideas that don't, that aren't like uh, either interesting enough or developed enough. Or, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm like second guessing myself with the Dylan aspect, not knowing that much, where I, I just, I, I kind of felt just lost and dissatisfied here. And like, I feel like, you know, I, as always, I think, you know, we've been saying this over and over. I admire the idea of it. I admire the decision to do it, but I guess the execution necessarily wasn't there for me. And you know, like I, I, I want to uh, drop in a little quote because I, I thought it was pretty funny because I feel like maybe the bail segment is where I feel kind of most lost or most dissatisfied where it's kind of like, like I feel like knowing a lot about Dylan might be more beneficial here, but maybe it might be make it even worse depending on your perspective. Here's a quote from Mick LaSalle about Christian Bale's performance here. Along along with Al Jolson, Ronald Reagan, and Truman Capote, <laughs> Dylan is one of the four people on earth that everyone can imitate, except for Christian Bale, who plays the folk <laughs> Dylan here known as Jack Rollins. When Bale imitates Dylan, he sounds a lot like George W. Bush. Notice this. <laughs> it helps pass the time. Uh, uh, uh. I thought that was a pretty funny quote. That is pretty funny. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some recreations. There's him doing uh, Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll. Like, there, that's a recreation of kind of an iconic moment you'll see in many documentaries of Dylan just looking like he's like at the back of a truck with people behind and in front of him, just kind of watching uh, passively. Um, and yeah, I just, 
I mean, that's what, the two most like iconic Dylan eras being, you know, Kate Blanchett. Who look, it's it's fine. It's it's an imitation and it's very campy, but uh, it's fine. If I had and to pick Christian, a segment, that'd be my favorite. Yeah, probably just because it's like fun at least. Yeah. Uh, the Christian Bale stuff sucks though. Oh my god, he is truly. It might be my least favorite Christian Bale performance. Uh, and it takes a really great director maybe to get a horrible Christian Bale performance, not just like a sleepwalking one. Uh, like, cause there's a lot of just like standard Christian Bale performances that you could say are bad. Um, anyway, that's, we're not going to be more, much more productive on I'm not there. Malcolm, final mm-hmm. thoughts on the film, final thoughts on Bob Dylan. Uh, you've listened to some more Dylan now. Favorite Bob Dylan song. I think it's definitely one that'd be... On Blonde, On Blonde. I listened to Blonde, okay. On Blonde, and let let me see. What's the other one I listened to after that? Blonde, On Blonde, my favorite album, just recently picked up a mono copy of the record, Ooh. which uh, I was, you know, in research, I found out that the stereo mix of Blonde, On Blonde was basically done in like half a day uh, when the mono mix they poured over for weeks. So if that means anything, you know. Uh, I feel like it's mixed better on that. I, I'm just, yeah. I like all the early Bob and mono better. That's just personal preference. I listened to Nashville Skyline as well, which Ooh, was that's great. Very easy, nice listen. You know, I, it's I, I like a Bond on Bond, but you really got to hunker in. I think listen to it. I mean, it's good background music too, but I think you get more out of it, kind of you know, with the lyrics and whatnot. Nashville Skyline. You know, put that on, sit on your patio or whatever. I think it's going to be a good time. That Johnny Cash feature, surprise feature collab in the first song. Yeah, no, that was that was that was good stuff. And like, kind of like, so kind of like the way he's throwing his voice is cool. All right, the song that I enjoyed the the most is probably "Stuck Inside in Mobile" with the the Memphis Blues again. That's the one I was. Oh yeah, I was I was really into that one. Oh, the ragman draws circles Up and down the block I'd ask him what the matter was But I know that he don't talk Yeah, that's one of the best songs ever. They used that uh, pretty uh, heavily in the movie, if I recall. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can point at anything on that album and I'll call it the best song ever. JT, final thoughts on the film, final defense uh, I'm glad we were able to keep it civil. I'm sorry that I triggered you. Did you get flashbacks of when we lived together and I was annoying about movies? I don't think we don't really butt heads. Like I, I no, but like you probably like overheard up. me being annoying about movies once, and we're like, come on. No, man. no, no. I'm a I'm I'm a cool cat. I don't uh I I don't I don't, I don't get angry. <laughs> um, you get even. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Hangs in real life. We're 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 chill. Yeah, normal. Yeah, I just nice and normal. Again, my biggest defense of it is that, like, to me, what Haynes is getting at with the performance and the masks of everything. Again, it's a lot of he's retreading ground from Velvet Goldmine, but I feel like it's legitimately very interesting to me and the way in which 
it is intertwining um, fact and fiction and that it is able to elicit both such a positive and negative response from Dylan fans on that ground, I think is a testament to like how much like to me, just like more than anything else, Haynes's love of Dylan really shines through here. I think that yes, like your complaints about having a more uh varied Dylan uh discography um are certainly heard and I do think that like that I don't want to say would like Im- improve the film in any way or whatnot, but I do think it is a good note to bring up. But again, like a lot of the performances are caricature and campy and I'm totally fine with that vibe for this. Um, yeah, I don't know. If anything, I feel like it's just a matter of like taste and preference. And I do feel like some of the stuff that he's doing, like when he's trying to be a little bit cutesy or cheeky and whimsical at points, I feel like there are moments for me where Haynes, if he's not capturing the spirit of some like Dylan works, he's capturing how Dylan makes him feel. And if there's ever a moment of that, where it's like groping to towards like, what end is this getting at? It is like, how do you, how do you reflect upon like an artist of this stature? Because I don't know, you've said Eddie, like greatest songwriter, and it's that's a big like I'm certain Haynes would agree with you there, uh, based on the film, and yeah, I don't know. It's just like how do you capture that? And Haynes takes a stab at it that is undeniably like adventurous and something strange and experimental. And for me, it just works because I don't know. For me, the feelings are right. It looks pretty. Uh, and, uh, I get to listen, uh, to some great Bob Dylan songs and some, some good covers and some okay covers, but, uh, yeah, yeah some of the, the covers have a range, I would yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of them are all right. You know what it reminded me of is, uh, me, myself and Irene. Do you remember that soundtrack, how it had all those covers of Steely Dan songs? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. By like Smash Mouth and like the Brian Seltzer Orchestra. <laughs> it would have been, that would have been a bold choice. Very, uh, proto-poptimist if like High Ants got someone super duper popular to, do a cover here you know what i mean yeah maybe maybe just to add one more confusing element um yeah i i i gotta say i think that uh my overall thesis is probably just that like if you're gonna try to split bob dylan's life uh and work into these six characters it's incredibly narrow uh for that conceit and I just feel really dis. I felt really disappointed watching it. Like I was like, "Oh man!" And then the second hour hit, and I was like, "It's still going on." It was a very unpleasant experience for uh, for music for a movie that plays so much music that I love too. I was like, "Well, at least I got this song." And I'm just like, "Am I allowed to close my eyes?" No, I'm <laughs> a good 
critic and will watch every goddamn frame of this movie <laughs> if it kills me. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 going uh, I'm going one bullet on this one, even though we haven't been doing ratings for the uh, music series. You got your gun like out. You got your gun. I got that was that was the Chris Kyle part of the podcast. <laughs> And that is going to do it on the extended clip month of music. We'll be right back. These are all protest songs now. Come on. This is a... This is not British music, it's American music. Now, come on. city is pretty close by there's just a lot of old colonial ass bullshit that i'm by too which is like neat it has me i never really i don't really give a fuck about that period of history i feel like it's pretty boring and like hard to connect to like just walking by places that are like they have the little history placards that are like, oh, in 1770, whatever, like uh, this, this asshole like suck dick here. And uh, there's a house where Napoleon's uh, brother like was holed up in for a little bit. It does make me want to like read colonial history because it's like I am so close to like so much of it. It would be fun to like contextualize those the locations that i see every day with like events that happened here 300 some years ago yeah you know maybe that's the key to enjoying philly to its fullest is like you got to get that colonial knowledge you know what i mean like how ben franklin was doing his hair you know what i mean like maybe that really adds something to the i found out a, a cool thing about Ben Franklin recently because uh, Nico wants to read his autobiography um, but uh, there's like a list that uh, Ben Franklin made about like MILFs and like he was like why he th- he says MILF pussy was better uh, wait a second <laughs> <laughs> I know he was the original newspaper man but was he writing listicles about pussy too it's uh why older women make better mistresses than younger ones is yeah oh yeah it's like it's eight reasons best of all franklin wrote gleefully they are so grateful 
Unlike younger, more demanding women, older ones are simply happy to have a lover. You don't have to ruin her reputation because she's not a virgin anymore. <laughs> you don't have to worry about making to, her pregnant. I can't wait to haunt these grounds with you in Philly. It's so awesome. He, dude is such a pimp. That is awesome. And for, like, a dude that looks like that, like, body shape and hair combined <laughs> to reportedly, like, through history, be putting up fucking Wilt Chamberlain numbers <laughs> is insane. Yeah. No, it's, he just, he must have had something to him, you know what I mean? You know he was pretending to invent other stuff, right? Like, it wasn't just, like... <laughs> I, I, I think I heard somewhere that like, <sighs> he didn't el- invent electricity or something like that. Like that's, and then I told it to my parents, and then they're like, "That's not true." And then I looked it up, and I couldn't find anything on it. So, jury's still out on that to me. <laughs> well, I guess uh, we'll have to be the judge of that. I'll go to the scene of the crime, do a little on-scene reportage. Fly your kite, <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> On extended clip, the segment, of course, is Malcolm in the Middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, how's life been treating you lately? You've been watching any good stuff? Yeah, you know, my life has, is on the upswing, and it's all due to the movies and television that I consume. Uh, one of the movies that I watched over the past week was, uh, you know, a little reclaimable, as I like to call it. But, to be honest, I'm pretty late to this party. It's Only God Forgives by Nicholas Winding Refn. To be honest, it is, I, watching this movie, it is, it's one of those movies where it's like the criticisms of it are, are pretty fair, I would say. But I think, I think this movie just is super interesting. You know, the, this, the plot line is pretty thin. We got a couple of brothers in, uh, who run a Thai boxing club, and one of them, one of them gets gets killed, you know, for for certain reasons, and Gosling is egged on by his mom to avenge uh, his death, you know, kill the the cop that arranged that guy's killing, and the plot's super paper thin. It's a lot of just like Gosling standing in rooms. It's one of the few movies where I could say this is an over formalized movie. Like it is, it mm-hmm. is like its uh, attention to form is kind of uh, trapping it a certain bit you know it is i could have used some beef on the screenplay i'm not gonna lie i'm going normal mode with it but all all this to said i feel like this still uh visually looks very interesting and it's just kind of scratching a certain itch of a a modern noir that i think a movie that i'm always kind of going to be kind of game for to begin with so i might kind of already be in the bag for it as in this is, you know, are those movies necessarily good a lot of the time? Uh, maybe not, but, like, it's always something I know you I'm, liked Marlowe from this year with Liam like a lot more than I did. <laughs> True, we gotta have the Marlowe episode to hash it out. I'm, I'm still heated about the two stars to Marlowe. But, um, uh, <laughs> that's, you know, ten years down the line, there's gonna be some 17-year-old saying it's the best movie ever, trust me. But uh, yeah, that's, only a, got... that's a Calle du Cinema classic, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Only God Forgives, I, I, I found it visually interesting enough, uh, and, you know, there were fight sequences, it's, it scratched a certain inch, and I, I think maybe what people, an, another aspect 
people didn't like about it is that Revan will go out of his way to be nasty. Not necessarily, I mean, sometimes with actual violence, but uh, the way people talk to each other in this movie, it's not very, you know, people are very mean to each other and there's no warmness. There's no, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of spite and anger and kind of uh, discontent being thrown around in this movie. And I think, um, I don't know, maybe people found aspects of it like kind of problematic or something like that. And I think that's not even an unfair critique, but I just, uh, I appreciate this movie's edge and I kind of, I kind of like the way it looks. I feel like there was like a screenshot of kind of like the red and blue lighting that was pretty popular, um, like a red and blue neon contrast. And I have to say that actually kind of looks bad, like when, when it kind of goes red and blue mode, but that's not... It's, to be honest, it doesn't happen throughout most of the movie. We get some nice uh, neon lighting here. and uh, I don't know. I thought it was good enough for what it was trying to aim for. What, what about you guys? You guys see anything? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 wait, so Malcolm, are you describing bisexual lighting, by the way? Yeah. There's the, oh, yeah. This is, this is a... This, see, that's maybe, maybe people were upset by the bisexual... I, I can sense you beating around the bush there. <laughs> This it is, feels this, like the, incest lighting in that movie. Yeah, Did no, you say you're incest lighting. Totally. Yeah. Well, because there's like <laughs> there, you know, we were talking milfs before uh, we mm. recorded this segment. There is there is kind of a, a, the mom character is kind of a milf there, and it kind of maybe plays into that a little bit, kind of with their relationship. She mentions both of her sons' uh, penis sizes in a scene. I would like to get it on record that I was not talking about MILFs before the segment. Um, Eddie, Mark, Eddie, Eddie think- was praying and keeping his hands clean. He was he was doing yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Malcolm, what do you think about the other reference stuff? Are you generally a fan of his? Uh, actually, I watched Drive like a month ago, and I kind of more or less had the same reaction where I, I, I get the flaws of the movie, but like, I feel like there's enough creativity going on here where there's a, it's pretty interesting. Although I have to say the 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 drive soundtrack kind of sounds doesn't did not age well. Like I, I heard mm. years and years about this drive soundtrack, and yes, like that night call song. That's a cool song. Not saying that's a bad song. I like night call. <laughs> Everything else is like kind of like sounds like some twenty eleven indie tronica bullshit. I was gonna say, dude, it's chill wave. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, I don't know. It's like in between chill wave and Hans Zimmer. It's I, I don't yeah. I don't like that soundtrack very much to be honest. It is it's, very it's for like it's it's epic movie soundtracks for people who loved uh Toro y Moi and uh, Toro washed y Moi. out. Which that's the thing in high school I did like Toro y Moi and when that movie came out I liked the soundtrack. But uh yeah, that's not my not not my cup of tea these days. Not my thing. I like the uh the rock music for the most part. Yeah, no, I I, I don't know. I I haven't listened to Toro y Moi in years, but I feel like I feel like even this is feels like a level below. I don't. I feel like that mu- music's gonna come back though. Like I heard like half a song from like whatever Tyler the Creator is up to these days. I was like, oh, this just sounds like 2011 Toro y Moi. Like yeah. this is. I, I guess that's like the kids who were into Odd Future are now just gonna get into like Chill Wave and like other 20 2010s indie stuff. Well, those are kind of like concurrent movements. They both kind of happen. Yeah. At the same time, but yeah, I think yeah, the title of the creator stuff is 
that's I don't I don't even know what's going hey, on. Hey, maybe he doesn't want to reach any further back in history. That there's that <laughs> viral clip of him going around where he's like, if you think that Nas and uh the Wu Tang clan are actually top ten, you're lying. Uh it's actually NBA young boy if you're a teenager right now. It's like, all right. Just tell people to ignore the history of the yeah. uh, the art form that they like. <laughs> I feel like he was trying to say something else, and like that's fair that he was trying to say something else. The way he made his point was so bad. Yeah, there's there's people who do like obligatory, like oh, I have to put Citizen Kane on my list, of course, yeah. you know. Uh, but like, I I think the way that he went out, that that clip is very silly. Anyway, um, JT. You seen anything good recently you want to talk about? I did. I saw a fantastic movie in theaters this past week. They uh, One of the theaters was doing like the new 4K uh, restorations of the uh, Dollars uh, trilogy. And uh, after work, I stopped by and I caught one. I caught for a few dollars more, which was a movie that I hadn't seen since, like, middle school and uh, had absolutely no memory of it. And I love that. I love a movie that it's just, like, I've seen it before so I can cross off OCD, like, compulsive list. You have that there. But then when I watch it again, it's like a a damn new movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. When I thought of this when Malcolm was saying, like... uh, very bare bones script. This is a uh, this is one where I wouldn't say you could necessarily put a little bit more meat on here. Uh, I love the way the film unfolds, like with a bunch of just great uh, set piece after set piece. Um, when Eastwood and Van Cleef like just sort of meet and do like the team up for the first time. Just the two of them interacting is such fucking money. It's so sick. They're both just being the coolest dudes ever. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's what, what, what else could I add about this film that hasn't already been said? It's just, I don't know, a sick, very enjoyable, just Western time, you know? Um, yeah, they were they were showing those at the new Bev. I, I I haven't seen the uh, the Dollars trilogy in so long. I rewatched uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly on the 4K that Kino uh, that restoration they did, and it looks fantastic. I recommend to the uh, the physical media fetishists out there. Uh, I I rewatched as good as it gets recently the oh, 1997 nice. film by James L. Brooks. You remember when we did that series about James L. Brooks and Albert Brooks of the Brooks Brothers? That was fun, right? Good stuff. Good movies. Good times. We should revisit some of those movies. I think those those movies are worth going at on the pod again. I think uh, as good as it gets, you have Jack Nicholson here. You have. Helen Hunt and Greg Kinnear uh, as the people that he must bond with uh, in a humane way as means to really humanize himself for the audience. And as he says uh, to Helen Hunt about her, uh, that she makes him want to be a better man. And it's really a simple romantic-esque premise. Uh, almost more of a friendship comedy for the most part. 
And uh, it's James L. Brooks's typical episodic plotting uh, that comes from his mastery of the TV form applied to cinema here. Uh, the way he did in broadcast news and other films, of course, that we've talked about. Uh, and the way he did on, you know, uh, Mary Tyler Moore show. And, uh, of course, The Simpsons. He had a big hand in the first couple seasons of. Um, he is just a guy who understands the mechanics of emotional storytelling, the, the beats that you have to hit and the limits of that with someone as almost despicable as the Jack Nicholson character here. You know, he's really testing the boundaries of these traditional dramatic structures, uh, with these archetypes getting pushed so far, but they're not just archetypes, of course, because he's such a great character writer. All these characters are so dense and, uh, you know, I just, I'm a huge fan of this film. Uh, I can rewatch it every couple of years for the rest of my life and be happy. It's not perfect. I think that Spanglish is better. I think Broadcast News might have more going on. Uh, it might be technically better, I guess. Like the cinematography of Broadcast News I would prefer. But I, I don't know. This one is the one I always want to go back to. I don't know, his background in TV obviously helps with his episodic plotting, but also with the rewatchability of his movies, and I think this is uh, the best case of that here. That Nicholson, you know, kind of old man, light comedy run, you know, it's 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 mm -hmm. hard to, that's hard to beat right there, you know. Obviously, De Niro's kind of, he's been doing it for too long now, he's been doing it for like 20 fucking years, and like, there's some good movies in there. Don't get me wrong. I'm a dirty grandpa fan. Who isn't? Who is? I mean, if you're not, if you're, if you're listen to 90 minutes of this podcast and you're not a dirty grandpa fan, I seriously hate you, but, um, uh, <laughs> legitimately hate you, but, uh, something like you see that Sebastian Maniscalco movie out with Robert De Niro. They probably paid him like a million dollars to show up for like, you know, four days for like 20 minutes of the movie i guess that the the intern would be the closest as we could get to like a, a, a nice vehicle for him but those nice vehicles nicholson had to just display his personality i i don't know if any aging actor will do it better than he did in that run so that's gonna do it on malcolm in the middle everybody's favorite segment and this time it actually is in the middle because we got some emails because you know i realize now i don't think i've said the email address for three months or so on the podcast extended clip podcast at gmail.com you send them i read them unless they're like you know personal or whatever first one comes from dennis the subject is favorite fictional musician says, hi, boys, in light of the recent music episodes, do each of you have a favorite fictional musician from a movie? Maybe someone like Dewey Cox or Max Sledge or Lewin Davis or CB4. Years ago, I had a big argument with a friend about whether or not Infant Sorrow from Forgetting Sarah Marshall was a real band, because while they were playing actual shows in real life, they were spawned from being fictional. So, I would say for the sake of the question, artists like the Blues Brothers or the Leningrad Cowboys don't count since they became real after the success of their movies. Thanks, Dennis. Leningrad Cowboys, is that from the Kurosmaki movie? Yeah, I think I've never seen it. Yeah. Were they like a big hit over there? I'm not that's cool. That. Good for them. I mean, enough to become a real band, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. They were a cool band in that movie. Um, I don't know. I mean, I... 
I would immediately go to, and I guess you can't credit the filmmaker here, but in Inherent Vice, uh, you got Spotted Dick. That's a great, you know, fictional band. It's a pinch-on classic right there. Uh, a lot of, a lot more detail about them in the book than in the movie, though, of course. I, I'm trying, like, I, I can think of movies where there are, like, musical, like, characters who play music. Uh, you know, kind of like Nashville, Song to Song, you know, or something like that. Those are two random titles, but, like... Trying to think of like a music, like a, like a what's char- a like- Zach Efron's DJ name? Oh, and we are your friends. <laughs> you chose it for me. That I mean, that, nah. that that honestly, truthfully, is my answer. So yeah, I'm going with that one. He's the voice of a generation, but he doesn't even make music. He's a pure DJ. Well, he does make. He made a song at the. We don't need to get into the electronic music debate, but uh, he made a song out of <laughs> nail guns at the end. I don't know if you heard it. <laughs> I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> JT, any from you? Interesting. I like two that I can think of. One um, that I uh, just rewatched that I still like really love this movie. I think it's pretty great. Holds up. Probably the best work by this director. Uh, Her Smell. Um, mm. The 90s grungy i forget fuck there is becky something right yeah becky something there's one um 90s oh fuck i this is gonna fucking piss me off so much that i can't remember um the album and the artist um that the her smell band is supposed to be aping because there is this uh there's a very similar real life band uh that made like one like masterpiece like sort of grungy like album and then like no no i don't know why that movie i always just thought about uh what's it called uh live through this by hole because of the cover and like what that movie's like poster looked like and shit yeah no there's god damn it hold on is that third eye blind only because their first album's good. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell was based on the trials and tribulations of Third Eye Blind. Did a little gender swap through Elizabeth I'll, Moss I'll get there. it at some point. I'll figure it out. But there is some real-life band that it's based on, and I just like the approximation of like that style of 90s rock. I think most of the movie is uh, Elizabeth Moss doing like just like a crazy coked out performance where she's like doing like Jim like 90s Jim Carrey like free or Robin Williams like free associative stuff for her delusions and I don't know it's a fun character yeah no it, it's definitely a mix between like a Cassavetes character and like a 90s Jim Carrey Robin Williams character <laughs> uh it's it's a it's a very it's a very good movie I don't know if it's the very best Alex Ross Perry uh but I do like it quite a bit uh I especially just I I was shocked at how it landed uh in like the fourth and fifth segments I guess out I, I think there's five segments right uh, the the way that it plays the decline is very sobering in a way that I was shocked by, and I thought it was quite a good movie. Uh, we got more emails though. We we got, we got more than one. 
this one is from Reddit. It says, "Welcome to Reddit." I don't think we need to read that one. Uh, next one. Uh, 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 uh. Have fun. Have fun browsing. Yeah, that, it's got to be one of you guys. Um, someone's using the extended clip email for Reddit. <laughs> Dear Extended Clip Crew, this one comes from Sam. It says, Late Era Bob. I just started listening to the show these past couple weeks and found it to be a perfect mix of insightfulness and humor that I've been looking for out of a film podcast. Oh, well, isn't that oh, nice? Wow. Uh, cool. As a huge fan of Dylan, I have to ask, what are your guys' favorite Late Era Dylan songs or albums? For the sake of the question, I consider this period as beginning in the mid-90s. Wow, that is pretty late. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I would go Time Out of Mind, uh, going chronologically through that. Uh, Time Out of Mind is definitely one of my favorite records through that. Uh, also, his most recent one, Rough and Rowdy Ways, is one of my favorite records. Um, yeah, I would say favorite songs overall from that. Uh, let's see, Ain't Talking, the last one from Modern Times. Uh, also, the first one from Modern Times is Alicia Keys' Tribute. I was thinking about Lisa Keys Couldn't keep from crying when she was born in his kitchen I was living down the line Big Boy Neighborhood, Alicia Keys is in the neighborhood. Alicia, I heard about how you still haven't met Bob Dylan even after he made the song about you it's six true. years ago. He made a That's song true. out of her life. How do you find out about that, first of all, the song that he made for you? Yeah, he he he, he put me in the line of one of his songs, and that was just crazy to mm. me. I didn't even believe it. I still don't believe it. Mm. And actually, we haven't met him. I found it from a friend. He was like, did you know that Bob Dylan wrote a song about you? I said, no, he didn't. Mm. No, he didn't. And he was like, yes, he did. Mm-hmm. So I didn't believe it for the longest. I finally heard it. Still can't believe it now. And um, yeah, just, I don't know. I guess we just never had the circumstance to meet. And it's and, probably a whole situation where you heard it a few times yeah. that you didn't know he said it was you. I thought he said Felicia. 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 And he's the keys. Man, man, man. Uh, but Time Out of Mind has some of some of his best songs. I mean, Standing in the Doorway, Trying to Get to Heaven, uh, Cold Iron Bounds. Highlands is one of the most insane songs ever. She got a pretty face and long white shining legs. I said, tell me what I want She said, you probably want hardball day I think the single greatest achievement of his late period is the final song on his most recent studio record, Murder Most Foul, the exploration of the consciousness of America at the moment of the Kennedy assassination alongside maybe the consciousness of of Kennedy himself and a tribute to American songs everywhere. Uh, Or, I guess, songs on the American radio. There's some British songs in there, too. But as Bob Dylan said on that classic bootleg from the Royal Albert Hall, this is not British music, man. This is American music. (laughs) Any uh, late period Dylan stuff from you guys? With that, those parameters, like, I honestly... Aside from Time Out of Mind, like, that's pretty much, like, I am still working my way through things before that. Like, I don't know. I'm still doing, like... Yeah, no, there's a lot there, dude. There is quite a bit. Where I'm at right now, I've, like, I don't know. To speak to slightly beforehand, I've been 
bopping back and forth between Infidels and Oh Mercy a lot recently. Mm-hmm. I really fucking love Oh Mercy. I think there's, I don't know, there are a lot of like, uh, like open the opening with Political World is like such a, the song, the lyrics are kind of silly with it, but like, I don't know, it's, it, it's catchy, it's fun. I really love that album. We live in a political world. Love don't have any place. We live in times where men commit crimes and crime don't have a face. I, I want to get to his most recent work, but again, it's one of those things where it's like I'm not doing like every album in a row chronologically. But I'm trying to do most of them. I want to get the journey there. Like I don't – it feels mm-hmm. – one, it feels a little like cheating to just jump to the end. And then also, I don't know, sometimes that can be too much of a shock. Like uh, uh, hearing uh, like the old man Dylan. Um, I, uh, I don't know. I want, to, I want to build to it. I do remember once Malcolm was in the car when a song from Rough and Rowdy Ways was playing, and he said that he enjoyed it. That's all I'm going to say there. So that's my choice, because I, I really, any exposure I'd, I've had to the to that would be from you. So that one, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. all. <laughs> all right, great. Uh, we do have one more email that came in just under the wire. I didn't even get to screen this one, but it's from a returning writer, so I'll, I'll trust it here. The subject is movies that make you mad or happy. It's from Kyle. It says, hey, gang, hope you're all doing well. While I'm sure you've talked about it at length already, this Bob Dylan movie is the rare occurrence where the clip has radically different opinions on a movie. In fact, just based off Letterboxd, this might be the biggest disparity in ratings between Clippers. Okay. (laughs) I'll get to that. Between Clippers for any movie discussed on the pod. Don't fact check me. You know what? I might not need to fact check you. Like, I I think you might be right there. Back to it. Uh, I'll get back to my first addendum in a bit. That's footnote number one on the way. Uh, while While you all are men of great taste, do any of you have any beloved movies that you feel the remaining two thirds of the crew would hate? Any movies you hated, but rewatched years later only to realize they were actually good. Well, that seems like a totally different question, but okay. The episodes have been killer as of late, and I'm stoked for many of the episodes to come. Peace and love, R.I.P. Malcolm, Kyle. (laughs) So, first of all, footnote number one, we are not the Clippers. The Los Angeles Clippers are a basketball (laughs) team, the second, second basketball team of Los Angeles, uh, I am not a Los Angeles Clippers fan. I have never been. Uh, I am not, nor have I ever been associated with any Clippers or Clippers esque associations. Well, I think I've, or organizations. I think I've called the fan, the fans, the listeners, the Clippers, the Clippers. <laughs> I kind of I wanted yeah. to get more clip, clip centric. You know, kind of like use clip like. Like, I'm so clipped. You know what I mean? Like I, I like you posted hashtag I'm so clipped once, and I think I was the only one who liked it, but I loved it. No, hashtag <laughs> I'm so clipped is great. I just don't – yeah, there's no – you can't really do anything with extended to, to give a, yeah, a nickname. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like our tastes are pretty similar – the, the differences are always shocking, which is why they're fun. But, like, we don't build a show around disagreement like we're, uh, you know, uh, Ebert and Roper, where, you know, you got the fat one and the skinny one. We're, we're three guys who are 
even temper to all love movies. There's not like some, so that, that does make it harder, but I don't know. Can you think of any off the top of your head? I, I think Malcolm might have some, uh, you know, from that most disturbing movies of all time list that oh. you've mentioned before, maybe some of those I'm not, I wouldn't be so hot on that, that were formative to you. I did. That's the thing. Like, I don't even think I watched that many movies from that list. And the, the ones I, I, I did, I feel like are kind of like, you know, more art housey than like schlocky, like, uh, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe gummo. I could see, like, I, I don't know. I if like you guys Gummo. Have, seen, have you seen Gummo? Yeah, yeah I, I like, like Gummo. It. I don't okay. love it, but I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, uh, I think the biggest disparity between me and Malcolm is Noah Baumbach. I think, uh, uh, I think while we're young or like Greenberg or something like that would be the one that would cause the biggest uh, fracas between Malcolm and I. I have a positive review of Greenberg. Yeah, I thought you liked right Greenberg. Shit. I, I thought, see. okay, okay, well, <laughs> while we're young, that's one that I know you would not take kindly to. Yeah, I I mean, I, I, I remember seeing it and kind of just lightly disliking it, but, like, the thought of the idea of it and just the poster, like, <laughs> sent me into, into rage mode. Adam Driver in the fedora. <laughs> yeah, the, and, and Ben Stiller wearing the fedora. And, yeah, um, I feel like the bomb, like, the bombbacks I wouldn't like, I had. Maybe I'm just, like, less interested in him. That's the thing. It's not even that strong. Like, I haven't seen the Meyerowitz stories. Like, it doesn't That one's seem... pretty good. That one, yeah, that's... A... I could see myself lightly it's enjoying it. It's not great. I, I'm also not, like, the biggest bombback head. I just, you know, I think JT's a bigger bombback head than me. I think that's probably the big disparity. I Yeah, I guess... Uh, but then, like, for me, like, bombback isn't someone who I'm, like, racing to, like, revisit. It's, like... There are, I would say I probably venture more away from you guys the most, like, and with that, like, with Bombach, it's stuff that, like, was, I don't know, that type of, like, twee sort of white indie bullshit was something I was very into when I was younger, and I definitely would still have, like, an affinity for, and I still like those movies, but... I don't know. It's just something I've drifted away from, and then it's just, like, not, like, something I would probably still like, but I'm not eager to revisit. I also feel like they're just, like, differences in sensibility and temperament of, like, just tone, uh, where I like things that are a little bit more like annoying and gregarious and like over the top uh sometimes or like i don't want to even say crude and dumb because i think you guys like things that are that go those ways but it's just and even then it's not like all that huge of a disparity it's just that like i fritz the cat is like something i love but i know it's probably like a three from you eddie right yeah, yeah, it's around there. Most back she is like that. I do love American Pop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most yeah. Around but like, uh, it's like, I, I kind of have to put up with a lot of it, but then I do love the art style to an extent, you know, and it's, I don't know. Yeah, no, there are things like that where it's just like tone, sensibility, like that I feel like is the biggest thing. But there's nothing like, nothing springs to mind of it where it's just like, oh, I've been afraid uh to like bring this to the pod and when there is like disagreement 
and uh, Discord. We handle it respectfully. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I Even though we're three people who generally parrot more or less the same opinions, I feel like we – it doesn't – I don't know. I never feel the need to like say something contrary and to like elicit a uh, a more uh, like exciting response. Mm-hmm. This is maybe doesn't quite fit in the category, but it kind of does. I, I've watched a lot of like Lifetime movies, and I kind of get a kick out of that. I think you guys <laughs> don't really do that or enjoy that necessarily. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I'm looking at Malcolm's letterbox right now, just trying to like pick beefs out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, Nowhere by Greg Araki. That I don't really like. You have that at a four and a half. That's pretty high for you. Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. You thought it was. Uh too much yeah yeah i just i don't know run lola run come on man greg Araki, todd haynes interesting <laughs> whoa jt i don't like where you're going with that <laughs> yeah. as we said there are no phobias on this podcast i love everybody <laughs> and you can't even accuse us of that even if, if you wanted to so sorry all right guys i think that's gonna do it um, we will see you next week. We will be just back to a normal podcast. Um, I think before this, you heard the Oppenheimer episode, but this is the end of the extended clip month of music. And next time you're going to see us, it's going to be what? Like episode, uh, let me see here. It will be episode 222, the start of the new season. Ooh. And we're going to keep chugging along one movie at a time we got some great stuff coming up i'm not going to tease guests because we know what happens when i do that (laughs) so we will see you next week with a surprise movie i will not tell you in advance and it's not because i haven't picked it yet goodbye bye it was a dark day in dallas november 63 the day that would live on in infamy President Kennedy was a right line Good day to be living and a good day to die He led to the slaughter like a sacrificial lamb He said, wait a minute boys, you know who I am? Of course we do, we know who you are Then they blew off his head while he was still in the car Shot down like a dog in broad daylight Was a matter of timing and the timing was right You got unpaid debts We've come to collect